Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of worship for this morning on this inclement day in Cornwall, Ontario. For anyone who's joining us on the live stream this morning, we awoke to the first snow of the year this year, so it's uh, been a little bit different. We've all been praying that the snow plow wouldn't block us in this morning before we got the cars out for church, but uh, we are here, and we are glad that we can come this day. Let us come before God in prayer. Holy One, giver of all light, lift up our hearts and minds to Christ, the morning star that never fades. And by the light of your Holy Spirit, reveal to us your saving word and lead us to offer our lives to you in service and in love. We pray all these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, verses 1 to 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried in their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, young camels of Midan and Ephath. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. The second reading is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 72, reading verses 1 to 7 and 10 to 14 responsively. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your, your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May the mountains yield prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the needy, and crush the oppressor. May he live while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may righteousness flourish and peace abound until the moon is no more. May the kings of Tarshish and the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations give him service. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak 
and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. The next reading is from the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you, and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind as it is now as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit that is the gentiles have become fellow heirs members of the same body and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of this gospel i have become a servant according to the gift of god's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was, an accord this was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access in boldness and conf confidence through faith in him. And this morning's gospel reading is taken from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 2, verses one to 15. Listen for God's word to his people. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, where is the child who is born the king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time that the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I too may go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. 
Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now after they had left, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And when Joseph got, then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt. And they remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the, by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word to us. Footnotes. Perhaps this week more than any other week ever, it is appropriate that I begin the sermon with a few footnotes. Every week, of course, in the preparation for worship, I engage in a great deal of reading and research on the text that we read from Scripture, and I'm grateful for the wisdom of scholars and preachers who have trod this way before and have noted particular things in the Scriptures and shared those insights with the broader church. But today especially, I want to draw your attention to several of my sources. First, to the Reverend Dr. Munther Isaac, who is the pastor of Christmas Lutheran Church in Bethlehem, and his message entitled, Christ Under the Rubble. To the graffiti artist, Banksy, and his images that we will see a little bit later on in worship this morning. And to the scholarship of the Reverend Dr. Walter Brueggemann, any time you hear me speak of the role of the church to stand against empire, you need to know that I am channeling my inner Brueggemann, and I am very, very pleased to be able to do so. So those were the three biggies that I looked at this week. Still searching is the title of the sermon. Yesterday, we celebrated the Feast of the Epiphany, according to the calendar, or the 12th day of Christmas. In some Christian traditions, most notably in the Orthodox and Eastern traditions, January 6th is a more significant celebration than even December 25th. For while Jesus is born on the 25th, he is worshipped and glorified by the Magi, on Epiphany Sunday. And so we would be remiss to not celebrate Epiphany this morning. But the story of the journey of the Magi, the story that we read from Matthew's Gospel this morning, is a complex one. And its significant rests on more than just what meets our eye as we read the text. First, starting with the face value, what the text tells us. The story we read from Matthew this morning is about the arrival of what many believe to be Zoroastrian priests, astronomies, astronomers, pardon me, who had seen Jesus' natal star and had come to visit the newborn Jesus, the one that they referred to as the king of the Jews. 
And it's a story about empire and the freedom and the peace that Jesus comes to bring. Because you see, before the wise men actually make it to where they're supposed to go, I guess maybe that's the problem of trying to navigate life's courses by a star, they first go to Jerusalem. They assume that the king of the Jews will be born in the palace of Jerusalem. And so their first stop is at the palace of Herod the Great in search of the child. And when this news reaches the ears of Herod, the ruler, the Roman governor or ruler over Syria, this delusional and paranoid ruler he becomes enraged. And as Matthew notes, Herod was greatly troubled. And when Herod was greatly troubled, all of Jerusalem was unsettled with him. Across so much of the expanse of the Roman Empire, you see, the power of Rome depended to a certain extent upon the willingness of the local population to acquiesce. To the Roman authority. So news of some new claimant to the, to the throne of David would certainly raise up nationalistic fervor in the people and threaten Rome's authority and by extension threaten Herod's authority. And as a result we have this collision of interests to the Magi, this is a joyous moment, for their journey is near complete. They have followed this star, and they are about to pay homage to the king. But for Herod, and for the members of Herod's court, this is a moment of great anxiety and fear. And so as the Magi arrive at the home of Mary and Joseph and kneel in worship before the Christ child, this dark shadow is cast across the scene. Herod's rage and the boiling plan to kill all of the children born within a two-year period just to be sure that they got the right one in an attempt to wipe out any hope that the Christ child might bring to the people. But warned in a dream, the Magi deny Herod their part in his sinister scheme and they go home by a different route. And warned in a dream, the Holy Family escapes to Egypt. That's what the text says. But there's another layer to the understanding of this text for the early church. For the first readers of this story, the early Christian church of the ancient Near East, there was more to the story than just the facts. For the early Christians, they saw the story of the Magi and of Jesus' escape to Egypt as a parallel with the story of the, of the exodus and how God had delivered the children of God from Pharaoh's raging and brought them out of Egypt and toward the promised land. The infant Jesus 
is much like the infant Moses, whom Pharaoh again sought to uh, wipe out by killing all of the children of the Jewish people. Both understandings of this story, the arrival of the Magi and the deliverance of God's people from slavery in Egypt draw our attention to the dangers of empire and how empire always seeks to rein in the good news. For the good news of the gospel is always a threat to the pharaohs and the herods of this world. The good news of the gospel is always a threat to those who derive power by holding others in subjugation. As we celebrate Epiphany this year and the arrival of the Magi, it is a questionable reality whether or not the journey of the Magi could have ever reached its its inevitable conclusion if it happened today. Alex, do you want to put that image on the screen for us? In recent years, Bethlehem, that city so central to the Christmas story, has been walled off from the rest of the world. Once more, empire seeks to hold those who long freedom at bay to subjugate them and to steal from them all hope for the future. Among the Christmas greetings from the various uh, organizations and agencies that passed through my email account this year was this picture of a modern-day nativity attached to a newsletter from Kairos, a Canadian ecumenical forum that concentrates on the work of justice in our country and around the world. In the year 2003, and but surely not limited to this one year, the arrival of the Magi would have been just a dream in the current circumstance of the Middle East. Empire, you see, has built a wall to keep those who would worship the Christ child out. A wall that separates Bethlehem and cuts it off from the rest of the world. Amid all the news about war and conflicts between Israel and Hamas, it is lost the fact that there are thousands of Christians living inside the Palestinian territories. Indeed, the area of Gaza is thought to be one of the first areas in the entire world where the Christian faith was birthed and established. And some of the oldest Christian churches in the world are in that narrow strip of land between the fence and the sea. Indeed, early on in Israel's assault on Gaza, the third oldest church in the world was struck by an Israeli bomb. It's been interesting to me that there is a faction of the Christian church that seems from time to time to focus so much of their attention on the plight of the persecuted church. So the ones that talk about how there's a terrible war on Christmas going on and how, you know, we're all going to pot and to ruin. 
And yet, over this past decade or so, and especially in this most recent period since October the 7th and the renewal of the hostilities between Israel and Hamas, there has been a deafening silence over the plight of our Palestinian Christian brothers and sisters from that corner of the church. But then again, more often than not, they are also the proponents of a theology of empire a theology of domination. And it is that theology of empire that has written a blank check to the Israeli government to eradicate the Palestinians. In a special service of worship held at Christmas Lutheran Church in Bethlehem, their pastor, Munster Isaac, connected the despair commented, pardon me, on the despair of Palestinian Christians because of their abandonment by the West and most notably by the church. In the midst of their suffering, they look to us to hold out a corrective voice and a corrective message, and they find it wanting. Should you wish to hear his uh, message, you can find it on YouTube, on many different channels, by searching for Christ in the rubble. But a cautionary note, too. While the church... We, the church, the Western church, needs to become more vocal about what is happening at the present time to the Palestinian people, our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need not judge Israel too harshly, nor think that this is an isolated occurrence, because indeed it is not. Matthew tells us it is not. Empire has always existed. In every age, the dominance of empire is born out in the suffering of other people, those who have been subjugated by, by others who hold power. It is as old as time itself. On Christmas Eve each year, we read from Isaiah chapter 9, which begins with these words. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden... And the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all of the boots of the trampling armies and all of the garments that are rolled in blood shall be rolled up and burned as fuel for the fire. For all the boots of all the trampling warriors and for all the garments that have been rolled in blood shall be burned like fuel for a fire. 
It is in the context of oppression of empire that our longing for the redeeming love of Jesus Christ finds its most poignant expression. This year and every year. And it is in the context of the oppression of empire that Jesus Christ was born. For in those moments, we are confronted most graphically with the fallenness of, our, of all humanity. The overwhelming and undeniable sin for which Christ came into the world and for which Christ died. Can we have the next image, Alex? And yet, even in the darkness of unbearable suffering, somehow the light of Christ shines through. In war-torn countries, amidst the gaping holes and the, and, and the bullet holes, the light shines through. In 1992, Leonard Cohen released an album entitled The Future. It was my Christmas present that year, as I recall. And it contained a song simply entitled Anthem. I don't know if it's my favorite song on that album or not. I, it's probably not. But it preaches. It preaches well, so I keep coming back to it in sermons. Because in the midst of that, that song, there is this line. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering, for there's a crack. A crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. As we turn our collective consciousness away from another Christmas and on into whatever the world may bring to us in 2024, let us never forget that Christ came into the darkness of this world to be the light. And that regardless of the challenges that it may seem and the hopelessness and despair that we from time to time may feel because nothing seems really to be just or fair. Look for the cracks. Because in the cracks, from time to time, the light gets in. Thanks be to God. Amen.